Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. Welcome uh, to the second week in a series entitled Forgiveness. We're talking about this idea of forgiveness. And I want to show you at the bottom of our slide here, we're going to keep this up through this entire series. Uh, We've uh, re-implemented our Ask Anything program. And so if you have questions anytime during the message or during this series, you can text it to that phone number. And uh, we have uh, five pastors now. We'll be talking about that here in a bit. But uh, we're, we're going to be responding to uh, any questions that you might have. We kicked this series off last week. And we know as we're talking about forgiveness, we might be uh, hitting a nerve with some of you. Maybe um, pushing in on a wound or ripping off a scab, whatever it might be for you. Uh, but we know that this is difficult. It's a difficult subject. And especially if you have some things working in your life right now. And we know that every person is individual, a different, unique person that they have are in relationship with another unique person. And so as we talk about forgiveness, we're talking about it in general terms. And so if you're, if you're thinking through it as it relates to you and your situation, maybe there's some influencers there we're not aware of. Uh, and you want some more advice, some counsel, some scripture as it relates to that, please text us, uh, you know, send it over to us on this phone number. We would be happy to um, respond and have a conversation as it relates to forgiveness and, and what's going on in your life. So just keep that in mind as we go through this series. Um, I, I want to know, um, is anyone in here addicted to that game called Wordscapes? Anyone? Has anyone found that yet? Okay, a few. Uh, if you don't know what it is, it's this game you can download on your phone or an app. Uh, it's, it's an app, I'm sorry, uh, on your phone or a device, and it's, it's a word game, and they usually will give you like a six-letter word, and so you have the main word, it's six letters, and then you have to figure out all the other words that it can spell, three letters, four, you know, four letters, five letters, whatever it is, you got to figure out all the other letters, and this last week, I was having a good time playing the game, and I, and I got my six-letter word, and the six-letter word was sermon, and I was like, I'm a preacher, I'm going to rock this one, man. This is mine, right? And I got all excited, and I started going through it, and I'm getting all the, you know, three-letter and the four-letter, and I'm doing the five-letter words, and there was one I was having trouble figuring out, and I finally figured it out, and the word that they spelled out of the word sermon was snore. And I was like, that ain't right. That just ain't right. And so here's my goal today, okay, is uh, even though, yeah, you can spell it, okay, I I don't want those two words to connect today, okay? So I'm going to try to keep that from happening. Uh, I want to thank you guys, in all seriousness, for letting us get away for a week. Uh, My wife and I were able to take a vacation, get out for a little bit. We haven't done that in a long time. We actually went clear to the north uh, coast in Oregon, went across to Washington just for a bit, came down, went all the way down the coast in Oregon, and then into California. And uh, I did not want to go to California. Uh, I was happy in Oregon. And my wife was like, it's on my bucket list. I want to go see the Redwoods. And I'm like, all right, fine, since you're the wife and you're the boss. And so we, we drove, um, you know, because I was like $5 a gallon. I don't want to go through there, right? But she was like, no, I really want to see it. It's, it's something I've always wanted to do. And she had never seen the Redwoods before. And I had never seen them before. It wasn't even on my bucket list 
until I saw the first one. And then I'm like, oh man, I'm so glad that we made this trip because they were so massive. I've never seen something so big in my life and there's just rows of them, groves of them. And they're 30, 40, 50 feet around and like over 300 feet tall. And these pictures and video, they don't even do it justice. I mean, it's just breathtaking. You stand in awe at the base of these things. And so we went to a couple of different national forests and we're walking through there looking at all the redwoods. And, uh, and yeah, this is a picture, that, that little blue thing, that twig, that's me. Uh, but they're so big. And, and I was just blown away. And so here's my thinking, right? They're so big, so tall, so massive, and they've lasted for so long. Some of these have been standing for 2,000 years, right? And so um, I'm like, deep root system. They've got to have some super deep roots. And we started doing the research. You know what we found out? Their roots don't go deep at all. And I'm like, that's impossible. How in the world can those things stand so tall, be so big and last for so long with shallow roots? And what we found out is that they have a wide root system. Like they go out, sometimes 100 feet, their roots will go out. But here's the key. You ready for this? This is why you find them in groves. It's because when redwoods grow, their roots go out and they they wound around the roots of the trees around them. So other redwoods will tie their roots together and they will hold on to each other. And I thought, okay, that's interesting until like the second national forest we're walking through, we come around this turn and we actually found some that were exposed. They were up out of the ground and this is what it looked like. And it made all the sense in the world. I'm like a hundred feet of that. No wonder those things are so strong because a storm can move off the coast and hit them and they're all locked together and all of their roots are intertwined and when the wind begins to blow, they can all hold the weight together. And you know what hit me? God's church is supposed to be the same way. This is the way he's designed it for us. We're in community with one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a family. And if you want to think about it this way, the roots are relationships. And we have relationships that extend and go out and relationships with a lot of different people within the body of Christ. And we're supposed to be intertwining our lives here, fostering relationships with one another. And that's what makes us strong, not just as individuals, but a community of disciples of Jesus Christ. And so I want to show you today that one of the important aspects to a relationship is forgiveness. If you want roots that go out a long ways, that that intertwine with a lot of other people and make you strong and make the people around you strong, uh, you have to learn the art of forgiveness. Now, this whole series has come out of us as pastors getting together, talking about the church, talking about all of you, because as pastors, we're shepherds and we're taking care of you and and, and meeting with you and, and all the problems that keep coming up. And you know what we found out? That we've lost the art of forgiveness. We don't know how to do that anymore. And here's the problem. Uh, We're messed up. Nothing, no amen, no nothing. Okay, Uh, we're jacked up. Like, none of us are perfect. And and here's the thing. What that means is we are going to offend each other. Uh, We're going to sin against one another. We're going to hurt one another. Maybe it's words or something that we do. And and not because we want to, not because we mean to sometimes. It's, It's just... Because we're broken people. And here's what's interesting. In, in our culture today, the MO has been when conflict enters into the picture, we just leave. We just walk away. We've lost the art of forgiveness. 
When in reality, and, and Pastor Mike taught last week, he, he said it this way. He says, look, uh, when a community forgives well, they look a lot like the kingdom of heaven. And he taught us last week from Matthew chapter 18. He says, look, when things go wrong, when somebody sins against you, you you're supposed to go to them and through a relationship fix those things. But instead, here's, here's what we've learned to do. We just walk away. We just leave, whether it's from a relationship or whether it's from a church, we just go to a different one. And here's the problem. The way Jesus has set it up in Matthew chapter 18 is to help us to wrap our roots around each other, to become stronger as individuals and stronger as a community of believers. And when we embrace this idea of forgiveness, when we move into this act of repenting and asking for forgiveness and granting forgiveness, what happens is the roots get longer wider, they are more entwined, and we become stronger. The relationship goes deeper, and it becomes more and more intimate. And when we choose to walk away, we give all of that up. You see the problem? See, God has something rich for us. He has something deep for us, and I don't want us walking away from it. I want us to embrace this idea of forgiveness, uh, the art of forgiveness. And so um, today, I want to be talking to you about this idea of asking for forgiveness. Because as we discovered, we're messed up, we're broken people. And so it's not a matter of will there be conflict, it's a matter of will we resolve the conflict? Will we pursue making the relationship right when it's been broken because of something we've said or done or because of sin? I don't want unforgiveness to stay within the body of Christ. Why? Because it keeps us from relationship. It hinders our relationship with God, and it hinders the relationship between the two, of, uh, the two people who are in conflict. And, and if you're asking for forgiveness, what you're choosing in that moment is to prioritize the relationship over your feelings or over the situation. And I want to challenge you today to pursue asking for forgiveness if you've wronged someone to make sure that you prioritize that relationship higher than your feelings or the situation. Now, I don't think I have to spend a lot of time on this, but how not to apologize I don't want to spend any, you know, a lot of time on the negative. I want to get to the positive. But I think it's a, it's a good stop that we need to make because um, if you haven't heard this, there is a wrong way to apologize. Now, if you've been married for a few years, you already know this, right? I mean, when we were first married, I, I, I made an art of this. I, I was a master at apologizing incorrectly. I, I'd say things like, um, I'm sorry you took it that way. That was my apology, Right? You guys are laughing because you've done it too. And you know that that type of apology is not beneficial to the relationship. Right? That's horrible. Uh, Say things like, I'm sorry you took it that way. I am so sorry that you are so sensitive. (laughs) Right? Um, I'm sorry that that hurt your feelings. That's not taking ownership of anything. That's not even an apology. And then when we're confronted, because our pride wells up within us, we say things like, well, it's true, right? Has anyone ever heard that? Well, it's true. And like, that's supposed to make it okay. I heard something here recently I've been hanging on to. I just love it. Maybe you want to write this down. It's it's the saying that says, everything we say must be true, but everything that's true doesn't always have to be said. Wow. Are you guys with me today? Okay. Did, Did that set in? I mean, everything we say must be true, but everything that's true doesn't always have to be said. I mean, we have got to be careful 
about how we approach one another, especially when we put such a high priority on relationships, when we're about fostering relationships so that we and our relationships and the people around us might reflect Christ better. There's a lot at stake here, so this is very important. Many of the Psalms that you read, uh, the psalmist is writing about protection from things external, from things without, things outside of us. But it's interesting because when you get to Psalm 141, the psalmist is actually writing about protection from within. Uh, In verse 3, it says it this way. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Maybe that's what you're here for today. Maybe that's the takeaway for you. You go home, you write that on your mirror so that every morning when you get up, you read that and you pray that. Right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would stop us before we opened our mouth and stuck our foot in there? Wouldn't it be great? Do you know how much conflict we could avoid? How many times we wouldn't have to go ask for forgiveness if we would just stop and think a minute before we said something or did something? It would make all the difference in the world. It'd be amazing. Um, so I, I think we know how not to apologize. So let me ask the question, how do you apologize well? How do you do that? Because I think intuitively, we, we judge every apology, don't we? We judge it to find out if it's sincere, if it's genuine, whether somebody is actually just kind of going through the motions. Well, I'm sorry, right? Or if uh, they're doing it in order just to keep the peace, because now they know they disrupted it, and they're like, oh, man, I, I regret that, so I just, want the, I just want peace in the house again. Or if they're doing it to sidestep the consequences for what they've done. Uh, see, the apology that, that isn't received well can actually do more damage than good. We've got to learn how to apologize well. One of the greatest tools that we've found is um, a book by Dr. Gary Chapman. And it's this book called The Five Languages of Apology. It's a lot like the book he wrote earlier called The Five Love Languages. And if you've been around here for a while, you know that we've taught on that a few times, uh, especially during marriage series and things. And, and the, the idea goes like this. We all speak love in a certain language. And if the people around you that that you hold dear to you, if they're speaking a different language, you're trying to say love in a different, like French, and they speak English, they're not going to understand what you're saying. You have to learn how to speak it in their language. And we all give love and receive love in a certain way. Well, the same thing applies to apologies. When we are harmed or hurt or uh, betrayed or whatever, we've sinned against, when you're going to apologize to somebody, you've got to be able to apologize in a way that they understand it and they'll receive it. Because an apology that's received as genuine is more likely to lead to forgiveness and to right the relationship. And therefore, it's important for us to know how to do this because we want right relationships. We want relationships that reflect Christ. And so um, I'm going to run through these as fast as I can. And then I'm going to go to a section. We're just going to talk about how, why it's hard to, for, uh, to ask for forgiveness. But as I'm going through this, I just want to let you know, we've uh, stuck something on the MVF Colorado app. If this piques your interest and you're interested in it, you can actually go to the MVF Colorado app, look at the homepage. There's a little button on there that says Apology Languages. If you click on that, it'll take you to a little assessment. You can take the assessment and it will actually give you your score and show you what your apology language is. And especially for some of you that maybe it's your parents or your kids or, or spouse or whatever it is, on the way home, you can take that thing and then you can talk about it on the way home, but it it will open your eyes to how you speak the the language of apology. And so let's jump into this uh, first one that we see is this language of expressing regret. And the easiest way to do it is just say, look, I apologize or I'm sorry. Uh, Expressing regret takes ownership of the wrong. 
And the expression of regret, I think, is understood as sincere uh, as a desire to rebuild or repair the relationship. Like, I'm sorry, I, I want us to be right again. Um, when you're talking the expressing regret language, many times it, it speaks more clearly when it's not just verbal, but you add some physical indicators with it as well. Maybe eye contact or maybe just a soft touch on the arm. Look, I'm really sorry. That communicates to that person who speaks that language that you are being genuine. Uh, the second language is accept responsibility. And you can do this by just saying, look, I was wrong. That's my bad. Uh, I completely screwed that up. And, and if the apology neglects accepting responsibility, uh, especially from the person who has offended, um, the people who were offended are going to feel like that apology isn't meaningful and it's not sincere. If you don't take ownership for it, if you don't say, look, it was my fault, I messed it up. If you just say, I'm sorry, they're like, okay, but that didn't accomplish anything. They're speaking the language of accepting responsibility. Uh, many of us, we, we need to learn to get over our own egos and our own uh, fear of failure. Because for many of us, we don't like to admit that we're wrong. And in order to, to speak this language, you have to accept it. You have to say, look, I was wrong. And, and tell them that so that they'll receive your apology. Uh, for a loved one who speaks this language, an apology that doesn't, doesn't admit fault isn't even worth hearing to them. Like, you might as well just be speaking some other language because they're not going to think it's meaningful and they're not, not going to think it's sincere. And uh, though this is hard to do sometimes to, to receive uh, the ownership of, of what you've done wrong, it's the best thing you can do for people that speak this language. Uh, another one is to request forgiveness. You can do that just by simply saying it. Just, would you please forgive me? Uh, I messed up. Would you please forgive me? And, and in some relationships, they may want to hear their spouse verbally express and recognize that they are in need of forgiveness. Like, I've wronged you, and I want you to tell me that it's okay with you. Uh, requesting forgiveness assures your spouse that uh, they want the relationship fully restored. Like, uh, I, I know that I wronged you. So would you please uh, forgive me in this? It also proves to them that, that you're sincere in whatever that you've done, that you sincerely are sorry for it. Uh, re requesting forgiveness also shows that you're willing to put the future of that relationship as a priority in your life. Like this, I know we're not right right now, but would you please forgive me? Because I want to continue in this relationship. I want us to continue to intertwine our relationship, to, to our lives to be intertwined. And that makes a big difference to people that speak this language. Uh, the, the third one is make restitution. This uh, could be expressed by just saying, how can I make it up to you? What do I need to do to make it right? And for somebody who has this as their primary apology language, making restitution is, is so critical. Because no matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, or how many times you say, I was wrong, it doesn't mean anything to them until you say, look, I want to make this right. What is it that I can do to make it up to you? You've got to show us, you've got to make a strong effort to, to want to make amends in that relationship. A genuine apology is going to be accompanied by the assurance of, hey, I love you, and, but I also have this desire to right the wrong that I've committed against you. That's what they're hearing when you speak this language. And then, of course, the last one is genuinely repent. And the way that you do that is just say, hey, I'll try not to do this ever again. I, I don't want to ever do this again. Um, I'm going to try my best to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And for some individuals, repentance is the convincing part of the apology. That's what speaks sincerity to them, that you are sincere in your apology. 
Now, some are going to doubt the sincerity of the apology if um, it's not accompanied by their partner's desire to modify their, de- their behavior, to make the situation uh, something that they can avoid in the future. And, and for those who speak this language, if that's your spouse or somebody that you love, you need to understand that this genuine repentance is something they need to hear from you because they can't read your mind. You might have been trying to change from the inside for a long time, but if you're not verbalizing that you're trying to make that change, they, they, they're having trouble accepting your apology. And then on top of that, we need to be able to lean into God and His strength through His Holy Spirit to be able to make those changes. Because you can say, hey, I don't want this to ever happen again. Would you please forgive me? And if you keep doing it over and over and over again, pretty soon you run out of chances. So we need to be leaning into God and His Holy Spirit to make those changes as well. So this, I think, is a great example of how uh, we can offer a right apology. And if you want to dive into that, again, buy the book, take the assessment, get into it. I highly recommend it. But here's the thing. We still have to get to this place, don't we? Like many of us, we haven't even got to the place where we're, we're ready to ask for forgiveness. We're still dealing with it internally. There's things that are going on within us that are making it difficult. So let me ask you, why is it so difficult to ask for forgiveness? Why, why do we have so, such a struggle in getting to the place where we can humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness, especially when we know that we've wronged somebody? Sometimes we're just willing to um, be silent, ignore it, hope it goes away. For those of you that have tried that tactic, how, to, how well did that work out for you? Yeah, it doesn't work out, does it? It doesn't go away. So it's something that we have to address. We have to learn the art of forgiveness. And so um, when you finally get to, to apologize, I think it's important that we're not using qualifiers either. You know, things like but or if onlys, you know, because those, those destroy our apology as well. I was going to do what I promised, but, or I would have been there if only, And we find ourselves, uh, you know, when we make those types of qualifiers, it nullifies our apology. They weren't, they're not going to take us serious. And the simple, these simple words just reveal to the person that we're trying to apologize to that we haven't really taken ownership for our part in the wrong. And so why is it so hard for us to apologize? What What is it that causes you not to humble yourself and go ask somebody for forgiveness? Um, I think uh, over the last few weeks, we've made a list of them. And I want to share with you, at least from my own experience and what I deal with in my own heart, my own life, just three things that I think are are some some of the top reasons why we don't seek forgiveness or go and humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness from somebody else. And the first one is um, we have to give up power. We have to give up power. See, part of the reason is because when you have to humble yourself and go and ask for forgiveness, man, is that humbling, right? Like you have to give up power to do that. When you are truly asking for forgiveness, you're throwing yourself on the mercy of somebody else and you're saying to them that you're in need of something that they can only grant. And you have no control over whether they're actually going to grant forgiveness or not. This willingness to admit I was wrong or, you know what, I'm, I'm apologizing, I'm asking for your forgiveness, and even if you don't extend it, I'm going to be okay. That place puts you in a, in a place that is very, very vulnerable. It's what Brene Brown calls the, the power of vulnerability. She says vulnerability isn't about weakness, it's about showing up and being seen. That's it. And when we ask for forgiveness, when you go to somebody and you ask for forgiveness, I want you to get this mental picture. What you are doing in that moment is you are leaning 
into the relationship. Now, anybody that's been in the military or law enforcement or whatever, they will tell you this is not the posture you should ever be in. Why? Because you're vulnerable. You're not, you're not balanced. You're leaning in. You're putting yourself in, in uh, somebody else's hands in this moment. But it's what we need to do, especially, get this, especially if we have sinned against someone, especially if we have wronged someone. And, and our, our pride wells up within us, and we're like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But you wronged them. You sinned against them. But I'm not going to do that. Make myself vulnerable. Um, when in reality, that's exactly what we need to do. See, asking for forgiveness removes the power in the relationship from us, and it gives it to them. And uh, I think vulnerability for many of us scares us to death. It scares us to death. We want control in everything. And when we've wronged somebody, it's time that you give up that power and you give it to them and you make yourself vulnerable. Expressing, I am truly sorry from a genuine sense of remorse. I think, get this, it's the secret to relational maturity. It's the secret to growing to become more like Christ. We have to get to the place where we can humble ourselves and lean into the relationship and ask for forgiveness. As broken people, I told you that we're going to make mistakes. We're going to sin against each other. We're going, to, we're going to offend each other. And in that moment, the idea is that we learn from it and we grow. Resolving our own conflicts when, when forgiveness is called for takes us to a state where you and I can finish some unfinished business. When you humble yourself and you ask for forgiveness, you are actually giving up bitterness. You are actually giving up blame. You're ready to move forward in the relationship. And that's what causes the relationship to go deeper, to become more intimate and stronger. And it seems like vulnerability make it weaker, but it doesn't. It drives it in and makes it even stronger. Listen to me. You are not free because somebody on this earth decided to forgive you. You are free in that moment because you humbled yourself, you asked for forgiveness, and you released control and put it in God's hands. That's when you're free. Which brings me to the second issue when it comes to asking for forgiveness. Um, it's difficult because we don't know how the other person is going to respond. And let me just stop for a minute and say this. If you know that you've wronged somebody, you've sinned against somebody, let's call it what it is, and you will not go ask for forgiveness because you're worried about how they're going to respond, that is ridiculous. That is the worst reason not to humble yourself and go ask for forgiveness. There you are, you're, you're metaphorically on your knees, you're asking for, for their, their forgiveness and what's going to happen next. Do you know? No, you don't know. I mean, he, he might um, look on you favorably or gracious or she might be angry and, and bitter. They, they might say, you know what, I still love you. They might say, you know what, keep your apology to yourself. I don't want to hear it. But that's not in your control. Yeah, you've done something wrong, but you're still doing the courageous thing by putting yourself in a place to ask for pardon, to ask for forgiveness. And what compounds it is the fact that somehow we think that we need to be able to control their response. You can't. You do what you need to do and leave the rest of it in God's hands. If you've wronged somebody, if you sin against somebody, you need to go and ask for forgiveness. Humble yourself and go ask for forgiveness. And you're going to be amazed at what God is going to do in and through your heart, regardless of how the other person responds. Um, another reason why it's so difficult is because we have to confront our true self. I hate this one. I really didn't want to put this one in here. Because, man, this one hurts. 
There are many things that you and I think that we're above, you know, like um, petty thoughts or vengeful actions or punitive attitudes. Because that's kids, right? Kids do that. We don't do that kind of stuff. Oh, man. There's not a single one of us in here that's exempt from the evil that's within our heart. We can get there so fast. It's incredible, especially when we're in conflict with somebody, especially somebody that we deeply love or care about, and we're in conflict. Man, we'll do things we never, ever thought we would do. But when we truly own what we've done, um, you have to, in that moment, confront that uncomfortable truth about yourself. Namely, the fact that you, no matter how old you are, no matter how mature you think you are, no matter where you think you're at in your spiritual state, you're not above it, right? Whatever that is, you're just not above it. If you're not careful, you'll slide into it so fast. Part of our, our true self that we don't like is our selfishness, our pride. See, in our hearts, we have this tendency to view our own actions as, well, it's really not that bad. And then we view the wrongs that other people make as major sin issues. Like, they should do something about that, but we're not even talking about my issues. I know none of you can relate to that, so I'll just keep moving. It's incredible how we can minimize our own selfishness, but yet we maximize the wrongs of other people. And we can ease our own conscience because we start telling ourselves, look, I had good intentions. However it turned out, oh, well, I meant well, right? And we just overlook it. The scripture actually has a name for this phenomenon. You know what it's called? It's called pride. And the Bible actually has a lot of warnings about it. Actually, in Proverbs chapter 16, it says it this way. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. See, the most insidious thing about pride is that it blinds us to the evil that's within our own hearts. We can't even see our own wrongs when pride wells up. In the greatest sermon ever preached in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking to a group of Pharisees, he's talking to a bunch of his, uh, of his followers, and this is what he says. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eyes. He's saying, look, you need to address your issue first. But they, it doesn't matter. See, that log of pride is this deadly obstruction in our vision that can only be removed through true repentance and humility. That's it. We've got to learn how to deal with our own stuff first. It doesn't matter what the other person's going to say or what the, how they're going to respond. We have to deal with our true self. Deal with that first. But here's the problem. We have a pretty high opinion of ourselves, don't we? I, I don't ever do anything wrong. I, I, I've never sinned, Right? Even though the Bible says, um, no one's righteous, not a single one. And then we got the Apostle Paul that drops a bomb on us in 1 John 1.8. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So we're sinful. We're messed up. We're going to hurt each other. Do we walk away from the relationship or do we seek forgiveness and strengthen, not just us as individuals, but us as a community? See, I want to encourage you, follow the example in Scripture. Embrace, embrace that hard task of humbling yourself and seeking forgiveness. But where do we find the courage to do that? How, how do we find the courage to humble ourselves and seek forgiveness, even, even if it's going to cost us personally? How do we do that? Well, I think we find the courage to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness when we consider what happens when we ask God for his forgiveness. See, when we come to God asking him to forgive us for the wrongs that we've uh, done against him, we're assured 
of how he's going to respond. We know that, that we are never out of his grace, that we've never outsinned his grace, that we've never outstayed his, uh, you know, our, our part in his family, that we're always welcome in his family, that he's always going to forgive us. It even says in scripture that even while we were in sin, he died for us. Even, even before we ever made a decision to receive him, he took care of it because he loved us so much. We never have to question his response. There's a worship song that I've got on my playlist right now. It's just working on me, and there's one line in it that just kills me every time it comes on. I just love it. It says, one drop of your blood is an ocean of grace. And I've been hanging on to that, man. I need that. Why? Because I'm broken. I'm messed up. I want to be more like Christ. I know that when I go to him, when I mess up, he's always going to forgive me. I humbly approach his throne, and I go, Father, I've messed up again. He's like, I've got this. Remember, I died for you even before you came to me. I knew what you were going to do yesterday. I know, I know what you did today, and I know what you're going to do tomorrow. And I still love you. See, we've been secure in Christ. And we know with confidence how the Lord is going to respond when we approach him humbly. We don't have to question that. Uh, the psalmist actually, uh, they, they wrote about this reality in Psalm 103. Uh, this entire psalm is actually this tribute to a guy who, a uh, God who forgives who forgives um, unconditionally. He forgives unceasingly. He forgives generously. And the extent of that forgiveness is actually spelled out in verses 11 and 12. It says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward us, for, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he, he has removed our transgressions from us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great news? I think it's amazing when we come to God, we come knowing exactly how he's going to respond to us. And so what we need to do, I think, is approach the throne of grace even more. Knowing that his forgiveness, that his love is never going to run dry, we will always know how God is going to respond to us. And that's fuel for us to humble ourselves and to seek forgiveness from other people. Because if God has truly forgiven us, then what do we have to fear from anyone else? Regardless of how they're going to respond. We need to be obedient to what God is calling us to do and put the rest of it in his hands.